0: Audiobook.
1: Audiobook release. Podcast. Authors. Narrators. reviews, Industry news. Reviews. Sponsored by eAudioProductions.com. Welcome to the Audiobook Release Podcast, a show for audiobook lovers. Stay tuned as we share the latest news from the audiobook industry. We interview established and upcoming authors. We talk with popular narrators and review a wide range of audiobooks. to you by eaudioproductions.com, audiobook productions, podcast editing, music for media, voiceovers, song productions, and more.
0: Consequences, an intelligence officer's war, audiobook, written by David Grantham. A riveting, behind-the-scenes account of one man's journey as an intelligence officer with the elite and secretive Air Force Office of Special Investigations at the height of the Iraq War. A charming and sobering story of one man's journey through the pleasures and consequences that come with wartime intelligence. A unique and fascinating window into the nuts and bolts of OSI. counterintelligence intelligence Operations. Consequences, An Intelligence Officer's War, audiobook, written by David Grantham, narrated by Joshua Manning, produced by E-Audio Productions.
2: Hello, I'm Matt. And I'm Leah. Welcome to this episode of the Audiobook Release Podcast. Our guest today is Dr. David Grantham who currently serves as a senior fellow with the Center for a Secure Free Society. He researches and publishes on the crime terror nexus in Latin America and advises public and private sector groups on intelligent matters and strategies. Dr. Grantham is also the author of Consequences, an Intelligence Officer's War. Welcome, David. Thanks for joining us.
3: Hey, thanks for having me.
4: Well, David, before we get into the interview, let's give our audience a listen to a sample of your audiobook, Consequences, An Intelligence Officer's War.
5: A faded white thermometer dangled on a tall cement barrier directly outside the window of my dingy office trailer. It was April 2006, and the last few days had reached 100 degrees Fahrenheit. The thermometer was suited for summer, topping out at 125. The sun sapped one's energy quickly. My clothes held their stench of sweat and wafted it through the air. I teased my linguist that terrorists valued suicide over life, not because of religion or U.S. policy, but because of this weather. Abdul was a short, plump Egyptian with a hearty personality. I readied myself, rose from my chair, and reached for my badge. Here goes, I said. Abdul assumed I was leaving for lunch. I think I will stay inside with this heat, he said without prompting. Bring me back a takeout tray, will you? The comment sounded like a command rather than a request. I thought it curious that voice inflections in the Arab world so often sounded authoritative. I simply nodded, knowing that I wouldn't return to the office for the rest of the day. We were merciless to each other. Smiling to myself, I swung wide the office door, and stepped out under the searing midday sun. I squinted as my eyes adjusted to the sun reflecting off the sand. I scanned the area and eventually located my ride off in the distance. The heavy-duty Gator ATV scheduled to transport me to the present idled in the makeshift parking area about fifty yards away. I was walking briskly toward it. You here for Grantham? I yelled to the young driver as I approached. Yes, sir." the young airman responded, with a bit more enthusiasm than was necessary. I hopped in, and he hit the gas. Named after Ronald Buka, the New York City fire marshal who died in the attacks of September 11, 2001, Camp Buka was best known to people back home as the infamous destination for prisoners moved from Abu Ghraib after its well-publicized scandal. But most failed to realize that it was an actual military installation. Boasting an impressive chow hall, a basketball court, a subway, a barbershop, and a fully functioning gym. Rows and rows of very small two-person trailers served as lodging for base personnel. Larger, single-wide trailers of varying sizes served as offices. We dipped and dived between rows of trailers and small buildings at a steady speed that was almost reckless. The airman transmitted his eagerness through his foot to the gas pedal as he sped through small openings and thin corridors between structures. I was still unfamiliar with the layout of the base, which probably made the drive feel hastier than it was. I told myself that he knew his way. I tried to take stock of the landmarks. Through the warm wind and sand pellets whipping across my face, I could make out in front of us a wide stretch of earth with a helicopter pad, sand berms, and concertina wire separating this half of the base from the prison. A now-obstructed view also revealed collapsible wire mesh containers, known as HESCO bastions, lining the road in the base perimeter. These stood anywhere from 10 to 15 feet high and 3 to 4 feet wide, were usually filled with sand or gravel, and were used as blast walls against explosions, rocket attacks, or small arms fire. Squinting through the sand and wind, I made mental notes on the location of porta-potties, Experience had taught me their value in a deployed environment. The fancy air conditioned trailers equipped with cramped stalls and tiny urinals, known as Cadillacs, were available only in specific locations. Porta potties were as plentiful as they were rotten and sweltering. They symbolized one of our expressions embrace the suck. I began noticing how we passed Air Force members at almost every turn. I knew there were many stationed at Bukha. After all, we were here to provide them counterintelligence support. But they seemed to be everywhere. And I would later learn that their number nearly exceeded the total army presence. Between Iraq and Afghanistan, it was obvious American forces were spread dangerously thin. Some soldiers received future deployment orders before even finishing their current deployment. I
4: knew the army... So, David, can you share with us a little bit about your background, including your younger years?
5: Yeah,
3: absolutely. I, uh, you know, in the book, I I had a hard time kind of trimming some of my background, and and you know, once you start talking about yourself, it's easy to keep going. But <laughs> yes, but I, I grew up uh, in Tampa, Florida, and well, my father was a native of Tampa, and my mother uh, came from the Dominican Republic. So I had a connection to Latin America. That's why now I I work on Latin American issues and uh, was raised there, uh, went to school there, went to college there at the University of South Florida. And I joined the military, uh, the Air Force, out of college, out of the ROTC program. And that was my first time uh, really leaving Florida for a long period of time. And of course, the government has a nice way of... uh, pulling jokes on you so i ended up in south dakota as my first movie.
2: <laughs> Not bad till the winter, right? <laughs>
3: That's right. It was uh i hadn't crossed the mississippi at that point <laughs> in my life. Uh, I had seen snow once. So it wow. was it was a learning curve to say the least. So when did you start writing? Well, uh, you know, as a history major in my bachelor's degree, you, you you quickly have to learn the art of writing, the skill of writing and My through those first four years of college, it was kind of a crash course on um, writing and writing well, being able to make an argument, um, being able to form your your thoughts in a coherent way. And ever since then, I mean, I've always enjoyed writing and reading. But I think after my uh, bachelor's, when I was forced to write as much as I did, I really took to it, really enjoyed it. So uh i i after that i really pursued degrees and, and careers that lent themselves to to writing and so with as i talk about in the book with being part of a uh, office of special investigations with the air force uh the joke is for every hour of fun there's 3 hours of paperwork uh. <laughs> and and so we you learn to write a lot and then it, but it wasn't until i joined a, a think tank after my phd that i really began to um, take an interest in in writing a book, or or really taking my writing from the policy side, from the academic side, and writing it for just an audience who wants to hear a story. I had never really done that before, so it was kind of a fun adventure to s- step outside of of the formulaic and sometimes dense world of academic and and government prose, if you will, and and being able to just almost write unfettered, being able to just enjoy the process of telling a story. And so that when I began that process, uh, working with our editor um, at Blue Air Books, they really encouraged me that I needed to explore a book, um, book-length monograph, and so that's what I've been able to do.
2: So then you'd say that your background helped you write the book?
3: Yes, absolutely. You know, writing is is difficult. It's not an easy thing and years of of training really helped me feel comfortable to jump into that role. Little things you learn as you go along, sentence structure, uh, flow, paragraphs, things like that. you know you that takes time. That takes some a little bit of training and and uh, after my time in academia and schooling and career, I felt comfortable stepping out of that and drafting something that was more of a story.
4: So we kind of stopped at South Dakota, but what happened afterwards with your life?
3: So I was in, I was active duty Air Force in South Dakota for my first duty station. And from there, I was moved to Texas uh, to my second duty station. And this one was a a unique position because it was in Dallas-Fort Worth area where there isn't an Air Force base. So I was there to support um, Department of Defense contractors with with intelligence-related matters. And from, from that time, I really uh, began exploring uh, an advanced degree. I, I, I didn't know if I could do it within the military. Uh, so I decided to separate and pursue my Ph.D. at Texas Christian University. In Fort Worth, and the history program there was was uh, very very gracious, very supportive of me joining the program, and so I was able to to join there and work through a PhD, and from there I ended up uh, working on national security issues at a think tank in Dallas, and then from from there I was able to join the next think tank and really uh, began my process of of the the policy writing and now a book.
4: So it's interesting because in each of your career paths, there's probably a different way of writing. I would think in the military, maybe they write a certain way. And then when you're writing your dissertation, that has to be obviously a different way. And then, like you said, now you have this creative feel that you can write for your book. So it was, uh, I would say, a growing aspect?
3: Yes, absolutely. And and the growth within it sometimes felt almost uh, Parallel, sideways, if you will. I felt like I was growing as a writer in my ability to write in different arenas for different things. Uh, so, yes, with the military, there's a very certain way of writing. As an investigator with with special investigations, you write a very certain way. It's some of it's for court, some of it's for investigation. So it's written a certain way, and then. Yes, the dissertation is a very certain yeah. way, and there are <laughs> there are certain footnotes, and they will be written as <laughs> such. And many times you fall into a rhythm with that writing, and the hardest thing to do is come out of that rhythm. And and so when I say writing is difficult, it wasn't. It's not just a flip of the switch that you can jump from that into creative writing or into storytelling. You really have to. Humble yourself in some ways and say, you know, I've I've learned to write this way for this audience. But maybe this audience, but this audience over here that I'm telling you a story to, they they may not want to hear it like that. Mm-hmm. And you really have to learn to write for that audience. And so that that part of it was was certainly a growing process and a, and a fun one.
2: Was that the most challenging aspect of writing the book?
3: I would say so. That was that transition from policy writing and academic writing over to storytelling that that was a challenge because there's it, it comes down to little things there're certain words that the academic community enjoys and there are certain words that you don't use when you're storytelling they just don't make sense they don't sound right inside of a story or outside of academia so there there were phrases and and ways that you laid out your work. Uh, with a story, you want to be creative. You want to be fun. In academia, you want to be straightforward for the most part. You want to get to your point. You want to make sure your point's clear. Uh, so that that was a, initially, that was a a struggle. But once you get into the mode of that writing, the storytelling, once you feel free to explore and express yourself, it becomes a much more liberating process.
2: Right, more fun. So David, why did you write the book?
3: Yeah, that's an interesting story. Uh, I was actually featured in a book about Texas Christian University veterans. And the editor and publisher uh, of my book now, Ethan Casey at Blue Earth Books, he was the editor of this book for Texas Christian University. And he approached me uh, after some conversations and a and a, a speech that he did on the campus and i introduced myself and and said i was a veteran and i appreciate some of his talk and we we just shared some um some comments back and forth and he reached out to me later and said you know i have this project would you be willing to write a page or two about a unique experience you had
4: wow that's well, nice
3: <laughs> yeah i and it, i was the guinea pig of <laughs> of this of this book and so I wrote the entry for him. I sent it in. And he said, you know, this is really good. Can we meet? So we've met over the course of several uh, coffees and lunches. And over that time, I was able to share more and more about my story. And I think on that third or fourth lunch, he said, you need to write a book. And I said, I, you know, I don't have anything interesting to say He goes, you've just spent how many lunches telling me some very fascinating stories, <laughs> And uh, and he said, no, I think you need to explore writing a book. And I said, I, I don't know how to do that. I'm not sure. Uh, and so he was able to walk me through that and really became a mentor for me in this process.
4: What a wonderful opportunity.
2: Right. It's like Leah and I always talk about, you never know who you're going to meet and what's going to come of it.
3: Oh, that's exactly right. In fact, when I first met Ethan, it was a really a happenstance because I wasn't supposed to be there. Uh, I had stuff scheduled that evening; those things fell through. I found myself at at the campus of Texas Christian and decided to go hear this guy talk. And from there, now I'm with you guys talking about a <laughs> book.
4: Yeah, that's pretty cool. How has the response been to "Consequences: An in Intelligence Officer's War"?
3: So far, the responses have been outstanding, and I and I I'm humbled by the feedback. And and when you first wrote your first book it's generally picked up by people you know and you're going to circulate it among friends and sometimes you expect uh, good feedback because they're your friends but what I have seen is just really an outpouring of support Uh, and the one aspect of feedback that I received that I think is most interesting and that I hadn't considered is that people said it's so well written, they feel like they were there and I hadn't thought about that as a writer. I thought, did you enjoy it? Was it entertaining? Did you were there parts of of intrigue and 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 adventure? And they said, yes, but I felt like I was there with you. Your writing pulled me in. I I was right next to you in the in the Humvee. I was I was next to you in the chow hall. I was I was all these places and and um I've heard that from uh almost everyone who's read the book. And I've been really, I've really been touched by the, by that, those comments, because that speaks to, as we spoke about the difficulty of writing and transitioning to storytelling, it really tells me that I was able to make that transition and and fairly well, it sounds like.
2: Mm -hmm. It's really, it's really nice to get feedback from a total stranger, isn't it?
3: Oh well, the, absolutely. They have nothing to gain or or lose by complimenting you, and uh, so when you get that kind of feedback, it's fantastic.
2: Right, yeah. different, <laughs> different than a relative.
4: <laughs> well, David, could you tell us a little bit about your research process?
3: Yes, in fact, you know the the interesting part about writing this book when it came to the research was trying to remember things as they happened. So uh, my book is is set in 2006. And I met Kambuka in southern Iraq. And the impetus of writing the book was really the fact that ISIS was formed at this prison mm. that I was at. We didn't know it back then, but but stories came out later. And that's some of where it started. And I expanded the story from there. But trying to recall events, times, people, names, that became quite a challenge, and I did have to rely on other books and, or other people that I was there with to say, can you remind me of this, or what did this look like? I, I see it in my head uh, as this, uh, but can you clarify for me? So there was an unusual side of research. Now, mind you, I have my PhD in history, so research in that regard is old manuscripts, uh, digging through dusty archives. This was a completely different research um, and one that was really therapeutic in a way because people remember things you don't remember and vice versa. You look at pictures and they bring back memories and, and stories that you have completely forgotten. So in some ways, the research was me working through all those foggy memories because you have one memory that's clear as day and the very next one it just it's foggy. You can't quite um can't quite describe it, but yet you need to for the story. So you find yourself researching those events through people, through history books, anything that can help you clarify your memory. And because you want to be truthful, you don't want to just make it up, but you have to be honest with yourself that that your memory is just that a memory so tying all those things together uh, through a very unusual and unique way of researching uh was was an interesting process especially coming from a very rigid academic style of research
2: well i imagine it must have been fun to reach out to people you haven't seen or spoken to in a while in a decade or so
3: oh yes absolutely and one of the main characters Aaron, we were able to reestablish contact and a dialogue and, um, over some of the stories. And, and she shared photos with me that I had completely forgotten about and, you know, triggered memories that, that, uh, had gone dormant. And so the articulating those events through the information from somebody else was, it really was a fun like i said a therapeutic process something you got to express moments before you didn't remember that story that that was a a liberating process
2: and david can you tell us about the title of your book
3: you know what i loved about this process is how every step was a new challenge and the title was a challenge i had not expected so it's funny that you would ask and maybe this is i think this is a common process with all books but I had not anticipated it. So when you ask where the title came from, it came at one time from a point of a lot of stress where I was thinking, I don't know how to title this book. I'm not sure uh, what to say. And talking with uh, Ethan one evening on the phone, I told him, I said, there's unintended consequences for everything we do in life. There's good and bad consequences and I remembered a saying from my father who who said, you can choose, you can make choices, but you can't choose the consequences.
4: Mm, very interesting.
3: And it kind of, yeah, it stuck with me. And I said, that's it, consequences. That That's that's the concept of the whole book. There's good and bad consequences. There's fun, there's sadness. There's a whole bunch of things uh, in a war zone. And it just as a, per, a regular guy like me who was put, in an extraordinary position, there's consequences for everything for all of us, and that's where that's where we landed. And Ethan on the phone said, "That's it. That's your title." Excellent. Finding the rest of it, a, an intelligence officer's war was uh, kind of flowed pretty quickly from that.
4: It's also nice that your dad' influence is in the title of the book.
3: Absolutely, it, it brings it home, makes it makes it familiar, makes it, uh, yeah, it, it makes it special.
4: Yeah, that's great.
2: Well, let's talk a little bit about the audiobook version of Consequences, and Intelligent Officer's War. It was produced by E-Audio Productions and published by Audiobook Release Publishing. Can you tell us about the process of making it?
3: It was a fascinating process. I've never made an audiobook. Obviously, I come from a PhD program and, and other degrees I've, I've written, um, but I've never done this. And the process was... Really exciting now, I love audiobooks. I consume them constantly any chance I get i haven't I have my headphones in and listening to an audiobook so to hear someone read back huh. my words were it, it was absolutely fascinating and and the reader Josh did a just a fantastic job um, and the process was uh It was tedious but fun, and it was in a a tedious way that I had never experienced, (laughs) such as you write something, someone else reads it, and they pronounce things wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, they don't know. Mm -hmm. They're reading it the way you have it written, and they pronounce it the way that it reads. But yet uh, that city where I'm from or this little town, I know it's spelled like this, but it's actually pronounced like this. And those were fun little things to notice and think about. And um, working with uh, with him, with Elias, they were uh, just great to work with in that regard. They're very patient with me uh, as I asked for these changes or or found little parts here and there that um, that I thought could be rephrased. And in fact, before the print copy actually came out, I was able to adjust a few phrases here and there because once I heard it read, I said you know that's not how I want it to say. I want it changed. Yeah, that's Great. very interesting.
2: Yeah, so the yeah. audio the audio version changed the print version.
3: Exactly. It influenced the print version in fact. And that was a um I learned that tactic in the PhD program. If you want to find your mistakes or find phraseology that you want to change, you listen to it. So when the audiobook was going, I was able to listen to uh those first drafts and actually correct and change a few parts in the final draft of the printed copy.
2: It just reminds me of reading an email out loud before you send it. You know, it doesn't always sound right, <laughs> and you have to
3: change it a little bit, right? <laughs> that's ex- that's exactly right. So,
4: David, what is the best advice anyone has ever given to you?
3: So, I, I would say one of the best pieces of advice I received was "grow where you're planted," and it was. Told to me by a ranking officer when I was a young officer in the Air Force. And I took that advice early on to mean just be satisfied where you're at. To me, it sounded like someone who didn't want to challenge themselves anymore. But as I got older, I began to realize that's not what it means. It means if you're constantly looking for the next thing, you'll miss what's right in front of you and you won't be able to excel. Where you're at, mm-hmm. and so I took I, I took that to heart as as I you know grew up more in the military, and especially after I got out, because life throws you curveballs. Things change. Um, you can't necessarily predict where you're going to be, uh, and you really do have to capitalize on the opportunities that are right in front of you. you. Grow where you're planted. and Do it, and that's where this book really was able to succeed. As I took advantage of an opportunity. I, I and was able to grow right there by writing, looking at a long-term project and saying, this is where I'm at in life and this is something I can enjoy and do. Let's take advantage of, it. let's do it. So I would say that's probably one of the best pieces of advice I've received.
4: I think that's excellent advice, especially today when there's so much focus on social media and people are looking at other, oh, look how they're living or whatever. That's the best thing, just where you are you can grow and you can thrive don't worry about you know competing with anyone just where are you today how can you be a better person so excellent advice
2: well speaking of advice what's what's your advice for aspiring
3: writers start writing if you want to be a writer start writing there's no nothing that can substitute for writing and the other thing I would say, maybe uh, one A and one B is read. Mm. Read as much as you can. I think Stephen King even said this, to be a better writer, you need to read more. And it's so true. The more that you read, the more you become accustomed to the use of of everything from uh, word usage all the way up to how you organize, what what books you enjoyed, how did they lay them out? Maybe you should consider that. To read is to improve your writing and to write is to improve your writing. And so really they they come uh, hand in hand, in my opinion. So if you're an aspiring writer, you already have an idea in your head. Start writing. Find those authors that mirror your style or that you want to mimic. Read them and then start keep writing. That's my advice.
2: Well, David, do you have any specific advice about writing?
3: Yes, actually, i I learned uh, early on in the process, in this transition from from academic writing to to storytelling, I learned uh, that I was I was told I needed to show, not tell. And when I was first told that, I did not understand um, that advice. They. The reader pointed me to a chapter that said, this one's really good. This chapter is a good example. Show, don't tell. And when I read the chapter, it was almost like you lead a horse to water, which you can't force him to drink. He led me to the chapter. I had to read it. And finally, it just clicked. And I realized what he was saying was, I'm telling you about what's happening, but you were there. Show me. Put put me there with you, so don't just tell me the uh, that you were talking to someone. Write the dialogue. What did you two say? And from from there, the book took on an absolutely different uh, process. After they really revolutionized how I wrote the rest of the book.
4: That's great. And what's next for you?
3: Well, I've already got another book that I'm working on. Wow. Uh, and we'll see how quickly we can get that out. But, you know, when it comes to writing, uh, Ethan Casey was, had some great advice where he said, remember, once it's published, that's it. So you want to make sure that your project is not rushed Mm. and that you take your time to do it well. And so with this uh, next book, I plan to write about my grandfather, who was a missionary to the Dominican Republic during the Cold War. And uh, I mentioned him in the book, Consequences. I talk about his legacy in my life. And so I thought, well, this book was, my book, Consequences, was a spinoff of another book. So let's do a spinoff of Consequences Uh and talk about a book about my grandfather. So that's my goal to write about that.
2: Excellent. Well, thank you, David, for being our guest today. It's been great speaking with you thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you for listening to the audiobook release podcast and our interview with Dr. David Grantham, author of Consequences, an Intelligence Officer's War. The audiobook can be found on shopaudiobooks.com and all major platforms. Check our show notes for a direct link.
1: Thank you for listening to the audiobook release podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to ensure you'll never miss an episode. We value your opinion, so feel free to post a rating or review. For feedback, inquiries, and more about our audiobook production and publishing services, visit www.audiobookrelease.com. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Audiobook Release Podcast. Brought to you by eAudioproductions.com. Audiobook Productions, Podcast Editing, Music for Media, Voiceovers, Song
3: Productions, and more.